Today in Flex in the City, we talk to Denise Voss, Independent Director for Investment Funds and Chairwoman of LuxFlag. Join us as we talk about humankind and how the industry needs to reflect and be there for society. All that happening right now in Flex and the City. Hello, everybody. This is Rachel Treese for Flex in the City. And today I am absolutely honoured to have Denise Voss with me. Denise is extraordinarily well known in Luxembourg and globally in the financial services industry. She is an independent director for investment funds, a chairwoman of LuxFlag, and the former vice chair and chair for Alfie for eight years. She's also a mother, a daughter, a sister and a wife. Big welcome to Flexton the City, Denise. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Rachel. It's a pleasure. You're very welcome. So I know you a little bit, but I'd love to know you a little bit more. And this is about the human side of the financial services industry. So could you tell me and the listeners out there a little bit more about you, where you came from? I know that you're American. I know that you've been in Luxembourg for a long time, but tell us a bit about your story. Okay, well, from the very beginning, (laughs) right, now I was born in LA and moved to East Coast of the United States, where I spent most of my life there. And um, 31 years ago, in in June, it'll be, I said yes to, actually, I asked for a two-year exchange uh, with Coopers and Librand in Boston to Coopers and Librand in Luxembourg. So uh, the idea was to speak and learn learn French, all that French I took in class. did Did you speak French back then? Yes, but in the U.S., you don't really speak a language. <laughs> Just learn it. That's all. So I was very lucky because the office of Coopers and Library was French speaking in Luxembourg. So it was great. Yeah. And, and again, such a typical story. I extended a year and then became a local employee of Coopers and Library. And then I left to join Franklin Templeton which, in Luxembourg, which was my client, actually. And it, it's true that arriving um, in retrospect, arriving back in 1990, the beginning of USITS was uh, great timing and there was lots to do. We were really there at the beginning of something amazing. In fact, when you look at uh, how successful USITS have been, USITS and Luxembourg USITS have been since then. So again, very typical. I, I married, uh, found someone to marry here <laughs> very early on, <laughs> met him. Had a, a daughter, Marguerite, who is uh, like children born in Luxembourg, mm-hmm. French-American and Luxembourgish. Mm-hmm. She's 21, going to university in Boston. Actually, at my university, oddly enough, at Tufts University. But she's a, I, well, I was a psychologist she um, is studying biomedical engineering and wants to be a physician. So Wow, so she's got a few more years to do then. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Good thing mom is working hard <laughs> to support that. It's true. It's an amazing amount of debt you can take on in the U.S. for that kind of a profession. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Denise, you, you've been in leadership roles and in financial services for many, many years now. What, what have you taken from, from some of the leaders that you've learned from? You know, what is it that you, you like in, in leadership and what do you stand for as a leader? Well, I think that um, I think listening to people is, is the first step and listening to their stories, if you will, and not judging people or trying not to make assumptions when they're telling those stories. Treating them, of course, as, as you would want to be treated and, and as a leader, really leading by example. So, you know, rolling up your sleeves and getting in there to get things done when they need to get done. And I think that that pays very well off. Yeah. And um, so these are these are the kinds of leaders that I've enjoyed working with and certainly the kind of leader that I, I want to be and I wanted to be. I, I have also I think it's it's important to, maybe in particular as a woman learned to take a leap, if you will, and take a chance 
on things that I'm maybe not 100% perfect at. I think you, you realize if you do that and even if you fail, quote unquote, and maybe that's you fail because you didn't meet the objective you set yourself or you didn't feel you did the greatest job or the job you wanted to do. But in, in any case, if you fail, generally, it's not life threatening. <laughs> and, you know, you learn from that experience and um, can use that um, the next time you try something. So I, I think that certainly when I speak in, to women in particular, I tell them, you know, raise your hand. You don't have to be perfect at something to, you know, to be involved and to try something. So I think that's that's a pretty important lesson that I learned. Absolutely. And so what motivates you you today and what are your core values and what's the purpose underpinning what you do every day now, Denise? Well, I, I, I mean, I worked for Franklin Templeton for over 25 years. I, you know, reached a certain age. My daughter went to university in Boston and I, I just kind of asked myself, maybe 25 years is enough in one place. And I decided to take on, divide my life into three, one third professional, which is obviously the independent director role, one third my volunteer work, which I've done in since practically the beginning of my arrival in Luxembourg. And that's my mainly my um, Lux Flag chairwoman role, but there's many other opportunities out there to, to contribute. And then one third spending time with my family, who's, who's still mainly in the United States. So really, again, what gets me out of bed in the morning is, is really kind of I'd say contributing, if you will, and and ultimately to the well-being of, of others, which I think was also something I was very focused on as well in the when I worked for Franklin Templeton in the as a, you know as a which is a management company of investment funds, which obviously investment funds are about contributing to the well-being of individuals and helping individuals meet their their life goals. Absolutely. So what we're talking about is 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 the purpose of the whole industry. So I'm curious to know, Denise, I had somebody come to see me recently, a young 21-year-old with a first-class honours degree in economics, and I talked to him about the financial services industry, and he told me that he'd got very little in- interest in it, which makes me very sad. So, so what do you think the industry needs to be doing more to attract young talent like that? What do we need to be doing more of? Well, and this is not new, but it's it's very important. It's still very important. I'm not sure the industry does the greatest job at it. We need to explain what we do. And again, I come back to that comment about you know helping individuals meet their life goals. So whether it's buying a house or helping their children with pay for their education, etc. So really, kind of explaining why why asset, the asset management industry exists, and it only exists because of you know the needs of investors because there are investors. I also think that, of course, what's important to the younger generation, but frankly, I think it's important to most generations, is basically you know, climate change and finding solutions to climate change and other social goals, many of which kind of were rose to the top, if you will, in, in COVID. I think that you know, in, in terms of meeting the Paris Climate Agreement and meeting the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, there are trillions of dollars needed and public money is not enough. So we need private savings. We need private investing. And, and that's where the asset management industry comes in. So as a, as, a, as a reason for someone to join the asset management industry, for me, this is a huge reason, a hugely important reason to help, again, meet these goals. And obviously working in the industry, you can be part of that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I, I know that one of the things that you're very passionate about now, Denise, is, is mentoring. What does that bring to you personally, Denise? Well, I have had an opportunity to, well, in my at Franklin Templeton, I mentored uh, someone in the organization. And I, as a teacher at the university in Luxembourg, 
sustainable finance. I've been involved in the mentoring program. And I have to say that, again, it's about giving back. And of course, you know, when you're older and, and have a certain uh, amount of experience and know a certain number of people in the industry, you know, you can, that is something you can, a value you can pass on to someone else. But again, it's about listening to them and listening to what they might want. And obviously it's maybe giving them some ideas. And um, I, I actually, for me personally, I find it uh, quite satisfying to get to know members of the younger generation better. Obviously, I have my daughter, but that's, it's great to be able to get to know a few others as well and to, and to help them be successful. So I've been lucky that I have had some successes, if you will, in mentoring and you know, kind, of, kind of fell into mentoring, quote unquote, to a certain extent. But it's, it's an area I think that I would like to get more involved in. And I think that more people should get involved in. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Denise. So, so what would be the two most important traits that you think have brought you your own success over the years? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to obviously to know yourself, to know what works. And I know for me, what works is working hard. So I, I know that uh, in order to do a good job on something, I have to, to plan, to prepare and to practice, especially when I'm thinking about giving a speech, for instance. I think the other element for me that has been successful or has allowed me to be successful is my, my I am an optimist. So I think that's that's quite positive and, and quite helpful, actually, in meeting people and dealing with challenges um, and the like. So say hard work and being an optimist. Yeah. So what advice would you give to a young person starting in the industry? The same? <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, working hard, definitely. I think definitely. But, you know, I, I guess I, I understand that's not necessarily always uh, well received these days in terms of it's important to find balance and all of that. But in any case, working hard when it when it's needed is important, I think. Mm-hmm. But I think that, um, you know, clearly it's important to to um, to network. And maybe that's I think it's important for everyone to network, but it's maybe a recommendation I would make in particular to to young women in the industry is to to network. And fortunately, the good news is there are many more women in the industry to network with. So if I compare that to when I I started. So, um, and also, again, something I I perhaps would recommend more to women because I think they don't tend to do this, but to raise your hand if you're interested in something, even if you're not perfect at it. And if you're interested in artificial intelligence and there's a project going, raise your hand, even if, again, you don't feel like you're an expert. Don't be afraid is the message. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Be brave. And again, you, you can fail, whatever that is, but you can also learn from your failures, so-called failures. Also, communication skills are key. And, and of course, digital skills are key. But that obviously almost comes without even asking for the younger generation. But, uh, and actually, I'd say also, you know, financial services, of course, it, it seems, I mean, I remember in the past when we were talking, we'd be talking about financial education, the need for more financial education, people's eyes would just sort of glaze over when you start talking about finance. But at the end of the day, it's about people. It's for people. It's not just, you know, up in the air uh, and, and putting, you know, investing for, for no reason. It's about investing for me, uh, allowing people to meet you know, their life goals. So I think that's also something I would tell people working in the industry. Don't forget, this is actually about people, even though, of course, we're using finance you know, to, to make it happen for them. So is, is financial education the big game changer for you to make financial services better? Is that the big one? I guess there's two. And that, that one is a key, a key game changer. And, and um, you know, I've been involved in financial education, investor education through EFAMA, the European Fund and Asset Management Association, for a long time. 
back in 2012, and it was it was very difficult to convince people that this was important, actually. But I think we've made a lot of progress, and um, at the I'd say at the EU level, and also I think even given all the hard and good work done by organizations, even including in Luxembourg, Young Entrepreneur, for instance, has done an amazing job with getting financial education into schools, uh, amongst other entrepreneurial type things they do. But um, so financial education in schools is important, but not just in schools. We need it also in the workplace because, you know, children also need to be financially literate, but their parents too also need yeah. to be financially literate and they're not necessarily. The other game changer for me, which I think we still need to make a lot of progress on, because I'm not sure, and I don't think people necessarily understand how powerful this could be, is automatic investment programs, mm. regular savings plans. These exist, asset managers, many asset managers have these programs, and it's basically where an, an individual signs up, uh, creates an account with an asset manager and signs up to have um, you know, 25 euro taken from their bank account every month to invest in a European equity fund. And once they sign up, it happens like clockwork every single month. And, um, you know, that kind of falls into the, you can do this with small amounts and it's, you can add to it. You don't have to think about it. So that makes it easy for people who don't want to think about finance necessarily. And if you start early, you can end up with a really an amazing amount of, of money because of the, you know, the concept of compound interest, earning interest on your interest, if you will. So I think, I think that, again, the asset managers, many have these programs in place, but they, they use them in a limited way. So I think that's, that's really a shame and that's a missed opportunity for the investors, of course, because yeah. it will allow them to start early. Because a lot of investors, you know, a lot of investors think you have to have money to invest, which mm. is obviously not the right mindset. You know, they think you have to be wealthy to invest, which of course is, you know, and, and which is even more of a challenge and more, more um, I would say, even more of, um, of a negative aspect these days because, you know, the state is not going to take care of everybody as in the same fashion or to the same extent as, you know, in the past. So people need to be more responsible for their own financial well-being so that they need things like this. So um, I would say if the asset management industry could figure out a way to make those automatic investment programs happen and to get people to obviously join them, <laughs> that would be uh, that would be amazing. And, and part of that might be also the the way the asset management industry is set up, i.e. through, you know, the asset managers, so the, they actually work with distributors of financial advisors who they themselves have clients. And there's not a direct relationship between the asset managers and the end investor. If there was, it would be easier for the asset managers to say, okay, here's my regular investment program. You know, you can sign up. This is how you sign up and, and what have you. But, um, but that actually, you know, speaking about the younger generation investors, that I would say also has to be where the asset management industry has to understand they have to get to, i.e. Yeah. be willing and open to a more direct relationship with investors, which is not really necessarily the mindset. <laughs> ah, so you have a 21-year-old daughter, Denise. Does she invest? Yes, definitely. Her okay. mom got her started on her automatic savings plan, automatic investment plan, as, the I, right as, the right I, did, as I did with my nieces. So I felt it was my, my, my uh, absolute job to do <laughs> that. And the deal is I, I fund it. The, until they're 25 and then they have to keep doing it and, yeah. add, and add to it. 
And do you think, do you think if you if if you weren't involved, that they would have made that decision to invest, that they'd have been attracted to one of our classic asset managers or not? No. Oh. <laughs> they wouldn't have known about it. <laughs> because actually some of the, the the most, you know, I think what what is uh, another issue the industry, well, I mentioned that earlier, we have to explain what we do as an industry, the asset management industry, without using jargon. And I have to say, some of the most challenging conversations I've had are were, was in particular the conversation I had with my oldest niece, who was the first one I did this with, explaining how it all works. <laughs> that was not easy. And then with my daughter, actually, that was more just about putting money in the savings account as opposed to um, investing. But when she was eight, you know, she, she got some money from her grandparents and I tried to convince her to put some money in a savings account. And I said, you know, you put it in the bank, you can get it whenever you want. And she said, no way, I'm not going to give it to the bank. It's my money. And then the only way, and then I explained to her, yes, but if you give them money, they, they pay you for it. You know, it's called interest, but they pay you money for it. And she's like, I'm not buying this. But then she actually, we had set up a, a savings account for her. And when I showed her, so she's eight. So when I showed her the statement and she saw, she got, I don't know, three euro or something, you know, for what she had left with the bank. When the grandparents gave her money, she's like, put some of that in the bank. So you have to, so that was just a great example of how you have to adapt the way you explain things to the age of the person you're explaining to. Real experiential learning. That That was fun. Absolutely. So, so, you know, you've had this incredible um, career in in the industry, you know, raised a family, et cetera. When When you haven't been working and raising a family, you know, what kind of things have you been really interested in, Denise? Um, well, family, <laughs> I'd say, um, yeah, I, I think we're, so family, I, I studied and, and did a lot of dancing when I was younger for about, till I was about 22 or 23, I even thought about being a professional dancer, but <laughs> I think I realized, well, my knees didn't let me do that, but it was probably a good, good thing anyway, but I still like to watch it, but I, I, I am a bookaholic, so I love books and I mean, one of my favorite things to do actually <laughs> is to, um, I love to read, I I subscribe to the Financial Times, you know, uh, digital edition, but I love to get that newspaper, the FT weekend, and just sit and read it all. I love that. It's an amazing, it covers, it covers life, that uh, weekend edition. It doesn't sound like it. If if you don't know it, it sounds like it would just be all about finance, but it's not at all. It's about books and art and all that stuff. So, and um, yeah, but otherwise, I, I love books. And so. do you have a do you have a tip for our listeners? Is there a book that you've read in the last year that you'd say, listeners, this is a fantastic book? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's um, a book called Humankind by uh, Rutger Bregman, B R E G M A N. He's a, a Dutch thinker, if you will. I think this is his second book, and and effectively the book is the premise of the book is that people are um, are good and and want to work together and that people at the um, the base if you will people are are good and then he uses a very good example of the lord of the flies so everybody i think knows about the book or the movie the lord of the flies where you know a number of boys uh get shipwrecked or stranded on an island and you know anarchy comes out of and basically anarchy and evil are the result <laughs> but that was just a book and a movie and apparently the author of that book was not the most pleasant person, <laughs> from what I understand. But anyway, so Bregman in this in the Humankind book, he he actually 
hears about a true life Lord of the Flies story. And he, he actually finds it. It was a um, boys in an island from an island in the Pacific who um, played hooky one day from school, took a boat and got shipwrecked for over a year on an island with on, on their own. And um, when they were picked up, uh, saved by uh, a captain on a, on a boat, uh, you know, they were, they were in great spirits, healthy, well. Um, so basically completely the opposite of the book and the movie, The Lord of the Flies. So it's, um, you know, again, it, the message is, is people are good. It's challenging to actually realize that sometimes when we see what's going on in the world, but fundamentally and, uh, you know, historically people have um, cooperated and are good. Yeah. But it, it, it's, a, it's the kind of book when it's done, you really are sad. <laughs> you really want it just to continue. So it's a, it's a great read. So if we were to take the Bregman um, perspective on the financial services industry and, and you know, you're a psychology major, um, how do we stop the likes of um, the Madoffs happening in the future? How do we stop the greed? Um, do you have any perspective on that, Denise? Stopping the greed, I don't know, but, but I think that, um, um, and, and, you know, obviously that was one person. Of course, people were, I, I, that's why I think behavioral finance, for instance, is quite interesting because clearly, you know, um, I, th- I mean, obviously there were a number of signals with the, with the, the Madoff case, but clearly um, those signals were not heard. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I think in the, in the asset management industry, if you talk to asset managers, they will say, you know, why... Uh, Funds are expensive because the distributors charge too much. But, you know, that's kind of an easy way to, an easy out, if you will, um, for a, a problem. And, and maybe asset managers can actually be part of the solution there. So, and I, and I think it's vital that they do actually be part of the solution because I, as I, as I have said for a number of years, I think the, the asset management industry risks being irrelevant to the younger generation of investors who have many different ways of investing these days. Robinhood, right, and individual securities, you know, websites that will, you know, use ETFs to put together a portfolio and they just go directly, the investors go directly to those websites and bypassing completely the asset management and asset managers. So I think that, and, and that's obviously asset managers interacting with investors, or you know, so this is obviously the reason why the industry exists. But it's also important that the asset managers explain, you know, why it's a great industry and why it's an important industry, you know, to the to future talent, obviously, who, who could join the industry. I, I think that the whole sustainable finance, working on climate change, working on social issues, is an amazing once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the asset management industry to explain its role in finding solutions or financing solutions to those problems. So I think that it definitely needs to be taken up by the industry as a, as a reason for why you invest and also why you work in the industry. Mm. Greed, I don't know. You know, coming back to greed, I, I suppose there's always greed. But I, but I think that if the leaders of the industry, you know, you know do, do speak in the right way, with the right tone and, you know, saying, you know, we're here for you investors and they mean it and they really do follow through with it including, you know, engaging with distribution distributors to try to, you know, get fees reduced or, or what have you then. And then I think that, you know, that will, that will be, um, you know, that will help the industry and, and help make a future for the industry as well. As somebody who's so seasoned, I want to give you a platform to, to, to give a calling to the leaders in this industry. What is your message to the leaders in the industry, Denise? 
Well, I mean, I, th I think my message to the leaders in the industry is um, we have an amazing industry, which has an amazing purpose, i.e. helping people meet their life goals. You know, that's humbling, really, when you think about it. And it's also a big responsibility. So, but it is about people. And that's the only reason the industry is there because of the needs of people. You know, so we need to make it accessible as an industry. We need to, you know, make sure that do whatever we can <laughs> to ensure that people feel like the industry is working for them. And, um, you know, and it, it is challenging because of the jargon and the fact that it's finance and people's eyes glaze over when you talk about finance. But, but um, yeah, no, I think we need some, uh, we also need an industry that is diverse, right, that reflects that younger generation, yeah. making progress, but we need more progress. And, and obviously, it's not just about uh, more women in the industry, it's about, uh, you know, all different kinds of diverse people, backgrounds and, and ideas as well. And, and, you know, and obviously as well in an industry, um, you know, in terms of uh, attracting talent too, you need to, the industry needs to look like, you know, society. So, um, you know, another reason for need for diversification. But again, very important industry that is increasing in importance, you know, again, because of the, the need to, for people to meet those life goals and they're more and more on their own to meet those life goals. And also, again, the financing um, of, of sustainable development goals, I think, again, is it's an uh, opportunity and it's there for the taking for the industry. So I love that quote, the industry needs to look like society. Denise Voss, thank you so much for being with us um, on Flex in the City and for sharing your leadership wisdom with the rest of the industry. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Rachel. Appreciate being asked. Thank you. Just listen to Flex in the City. Catch us on our next episode.